Howdy Riffers, this is David Sanchez and this is episode 58 of the Riffs or Die podcast for Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. I am super excited about this episode. This is another swap cast. On this episode, I spoke with the founder of the Free Thought Project, Jason Bassler. In this conversation, we talk about a lot of really interesting stuff, and I think you're going to learn something and also maybe get fired up, Braveheart style, ready to take on the world, armed with knowledge, truth, and a passion for liberty. You know, that great thing that makes life much more enjoyable. Anyway, as I said, this one is a swap cast. I'm super pumped about it. Been a huge fan of this guy and his organization for a very long time. If you want to support the podcast, you can always go to riffsordie.com and pick up some merch or go to patreon.com slash riffsordie and subscribe to be a patron. I'm not sure I'm going to have time this month to do a Zoom hangout, so I'm going to do two of them in January to make up for the lack of a December Zoom hangout. If you want access to those, you got to go on Patreon and sign up, become a member. And as always, it helps a lot if you spread the good word. Word of mouth is a beautiful thing, and that helps this show grow. So if you enjoy what you hear today, please share it around. I'll also have links to many of the things that Jason was talking about here in the Swapcast. So check the description for the show if you want links to that stuff. We covered a lot of great stuff in this interview, but I could easily do another interview with Jason sometime in the future. I hope he'll be down to come on again at some point and chat about some other stuff because we just scratched the surface of what we could talk about. So if you guys like this one, again, please share it around. Get your friends involved. Bring them on down. Jason is a drummer, so I had to ask him right off the bat about music, but then we dive into what's going on in the world and liberty, freedom, peace, truth, justice, all the goods. I hope you all enjoy this Swapcast, Riffers. Here it is, my interview with Mr. Jason Bassler. Sweet. Well, thanks a lot for taking some time with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. No worries. I've been a huge fan. Always enjoy talking shop. I always appreciate hearing that. Been a big fan for a long time. So on this podcast, I often talk about what's going on in the world, but also I'm a musician, so... I have a lot of music lovers that listen to this show. So we're definitely going to get into the Free Thought Project and what you do. But to start it off, what kind of music are you into? Oh, man. Um, You know, as I was growing up, I was all over the place. And I guess I still kind of am, to be honest. But as I was growing up, I was definitely influenced by hip hop. I had friends who were very much into the rap genre. Of course, this is like the early 90s, right? So things are a little bit different. But from there, I started to transition into more of like punk rock, hardcore in high school. That felt like my home for the majority of uh, my my high school years. And yeah, that kind of led to a a path of being a musician, uh, learning about audio engineering, touring, recording. I, in high school, was in a band that another guy had started and he had built some success with it. There was um, a pretty big following in the area. So it was kind of like a, you know, a shock. We just jumped into the situation where all of a sudden, you know, people knew 
the, the band knew the music and uh, I was just there <laughs> playing drums. Uh, the same thing coincidentally happened as I went into my 20s. I started getting more into indie rock after uh, a little bit of time in, in college and after my high school experience. And uh, I played with a band that was pretty successful out of San Francisco, had a major uh, label. They had recorded several albums, pretty big at the time, at least in the Bay Area. So I, I got to record with them and got to um, tour twice, got to tour the country twice, which was amazing. Probably some of the best experiences of my life. Awesome. And uh, yeah, yeah. So now I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. Uh, after that, I went into audio engineering school down in Los Angeles, down in Hollywood. Which school? I went to the LA recording school. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how much I'd recommend it necessarily to any of your listeners. It's, it's more of like a diploma mill, <laughs> to be completely honest. But <laughs> um, I felt like that was my path at that time. So I'm actually a, a certified uh, audio engineer. I went through the entire program. And uh, yeah, I just, that whole world within the music industry, much like the movie industry, it, it's just very competitive. It's very saturated. So I didn't pursue that, even though I ended up you know, spending a shitload of money uh, going to school. But uh, it helped for a, a period of time there when I was making my own music. I, I slowly evolved out of indie rock. I went more into like dance music kind of stuff, electronic music, was kind of doing that for a little while before I, I kind of got into the path that I'm on now. So I guess that's a, a long-winded uh, answer for you, but I'm kind of all over the place, man. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I grew up punk, hardcore, uh, metal, and then, yeah, so I, you know, indie rock, uh, electronic music. I mean, these days I could turn on you know, uh, some country and I'll be okay with it. it. It's funny when you're younger, you, know, you kind of <laughs> associate with just one type of music, one genre, and that's kind of like your, your personal identity, you know? I fell into that trap for sure. I swiftly uh, switched out of that though. You know, I, I went from like rap to, to, to punk rock, which is a pretty big transition for most people. Um, yeah. <laughs> since then uh, I've just been kind of an open mind, you know, I don't feel like one genre necessarily represents me. I'm just a lover of music of all sorts. Yeah. I completely feel you on that. You know, speaking of, there seems to me, and I'm sure you would agree that there is a lot of truth in art and art is a great way to impact someone's mental state. You can change the way they think oftentimes better in three minutes with a song than you can in three hours of debating. Sure. Yeah. So, and uh, this art obviously is, I'm talking actual pen and paper. I'm talking uh, sculptures, painting, music, movies, comedy, comedy. Yeah. comedy is a big one. I'm glad you said it. Cause I wanted to ask you about that. Are you into comedy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, growing up, I was a huge fan of Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, their stand-up. I mean, it, it, you know, it, obviously nothing political necessarily, but those guys are just hilarious yeah. as far as I'm yes. concerned. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's so many comics now that are speaking so much truth. Um, you know, obviously Joe Rogan, uh, J.P. Sears, uh, Doug Stanhope. I mean, these are all just... They're all legends in their own way. They're legends of our time. They're people who are kind of carrying on, you know, passing on, uh, had the torch passed on to them from some greats like George Carlin, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's important to, to continue that. Yeah, no doubt. I think if Carlin was alive, his head might explode today. Sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, I would love to hear what he had to say about the Trump years. And even now with COVID, man, you know, he was, 
he was such a prophet and he was just so intelligent, you know, and he, he wasn't necessarily caught up in the left, right paradigms either, which I think made him even more brilliant. You know, he was just calling it as he saw it. Yeah. He was outside of that duopoly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some people will say he was leftist and, you know, I, I don't know. Some of his positions might've been a little more left. Some of them might've been even more a little right too, you know, but generally most people who, you know, tend to find the good and the bad on both sides tend to be critical thinkers, you know, so that's what I like to think of him as. Yeah. He taught me a lot. I read one of his books when I was in high school and it cracked my brain wide open. And then I fell in love with his stand up and that guy changed my life. He, he impacted the way I think immensely, made me a way better critical thinker and made me question a lot of things that were taken as just granted and commonplace before. Sure. Uh, which leads me to why I wanted to speak with you. I've been such a huge fan of the Free Thought Project for a long, long time. I think that you guys had one of the best pages on Facebook before the giant purge. And currently, even though I think all of your accounts are probably shadow banned on Instagram, I think you guys still have one of the best activist pages on the entire platform. So for people that might be unfamiliar with the Free Thought Project, what is the purpose of the Free Thought Project? Yeah. So in 2013, I co-founded the Free Thought Project with Matt Agrist. He's the co-founder slash editor-in-chief. At the time, we were working for a smaller website, more focused on growing your own food, agorism, kind of counterculture ideas, but it didn't quite represent what we were trying to do or where we felt like the focus on information needed to be. So we decided to start the Free Thought Project. It focuses more on government accountability, police accountability. Uh, We're all over the, I mean, 2A violations, counterintuitive information, Basically, the third narrative that you're not going to get from the left and the right corporate media, that, that's more or less. That's why I love it. Yeah, right. Well, somebody needs to be uh, calling them both out and, and poking holes in their narratives and questioning the official stories and stuff. And we know that the corporate press, you know, the, the mainstream media isn't going to be doing that. So, yeah, as you alluded, you know, when we first started, we had a huge thriving web page. Uh, we had a amazing Facebook page. I think it grew up to 3.1 million fans before it was taken down. The information that we are putting out there, people are resonating with it. People are very, very hungry for that type of information. Now that's obviously changed. As you had mentioned, the great purge of 2018, uh, we lost nearly 6 million fans when Facebook and Twitter, both of them, Facebook and Twitter took us down on the same day within hours of each other. So, um, yeah, put your tinfoil hat on, you know, I mean, it, it sounds like collusion, you know, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but when they're hours apart, you know, there's just something a little suspicious about that. So, um, yeah, it's been a rough road since then. We've been trying to rebuild recover since 2018, but it's just a slow process. You know, they've uh, taken down our Facebook pages several times since then. We're actually on the free thought project 4.0 now. Also the founder of police, the police which is a police accountability organization. At one time, it was the largest police accountability platform anywhere on the internet. So we had 1.9 million fans. We were the biggest conversation happening about police brutality, police accountability anywhere on the internet. Facebook took that down as well. So yeah, we're, that page has been taken down twice as well. We're on the third incarnation of that. And yeah, as you had mentioned on Instagram, it made it never stops. You know, I think we've made our third account in three months now. Our first one, our original one, had 369,000 followers. 
They shadow banned that one. I had it confirmed by my Facebook insider. Apparently, there's three months once you get shadow banned that your account experiences the shadow ban. So I decided to make another account, the Free Thought Project podcast account, and uh, grew that one to 14.6 thousand followers in about a month. And they shadow banned that one as well. So I'm on our third uh, version now of uh, the Free Thought Project on Instagram. And it's just a, a whack-a-mole type of situation for them, you know, and it, it takes a lot of effort and energy for us to continue creating new pages, new accounts. It takes only seconds for them to shadow ban or delete them, you know? So yeah, um, it's, it's challenging. It's, it's absolutely challenging trying to stay ahead of the curve with this stuff. So what would be the best way for people to follow you guys that, you know, isn't a shadow ban profile? So um, we're on 15, actually, probably more like 17 social media platforms now. There's a new Ben Swan platform called Sovereign. Sovereign. Yeah. yeah, just came out. So um, yeah, any of those, MeWe, Minds, Telegram, Gab, those are probably some of the best. Sign up for our newsletter. Just go straight to our website. That's, I mean, we put out three articles every day. We used to put out six when we had more writers uh, every single day. But now after the purge, you know, we had to let go of uh, seven writers, two social media people couldn't continue to pay them. Uh, didn't right. have the reach, didn't have the ad revenue, don't have the money. Um, so yeah, follow us on Telegram though. That one seems to have uh, the most momentum and um, who knows, you know, any of these platforms could change gears immediately and, and start their own censorship campaigns, you know? Seems to be trendy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a couple of them that might be immune. You know, MeWe bills themselves as like a censorship-free platform. I know the founders of Float.app, Aaron and Kingsley, and they vowed and proven through their actions that they're not going to bend the knee to these big platforms, social media companies and stuff. So that one might be the most bulletproof in the sense of censorship, Float.app. Uh, and we're on that one, of course. But okay, yeah, MeWe, Minds, Telegram. Okay, cool. And the website is thefreethoughtproject.com? Correct. Yes. Okay. All right, cool. I'm currently shadow banned as well, so I, I know what it feels like. I think that you guys' reach, honestly, probably is more of people resharing your memes and stuff on Instagram than people that actually follow and like your page and see it from the page. You guys' memes get kicked around a lot. Yeah, 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 they do. It's a both bitter and sweet to know that, you know, I, I love that idea that my information's getting out there. Uh, we're planting seeds, you know, we're shining a light on important topics, you know, that's all wonderful. But at the same time, there's a lot of bigger accounts that share our stuff without ever tagging or crediting us or just sharing directly from our pages or accounts, you know, and they, they tend to cherry pick the best memes that are doing well and just reposting them themselves. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, it's like, ah, we're kind of all on the same team here, guys, you know, and uh, I think most of you guys know the censorship that we've dealt with. We took a big loss in 2018. So any help, you know, growing our pages and accounts again would, would certainly be appreciated, but uh, that's not really how the social media game works. And a lot of times, even by saying that people will call you out and, uh, accuse you of certain things. So yeah, it is what it is. Well, I noticed that most of, well, I think all of your memes have the free thought project somewhere snuck into there. Have you ever experienced people like getting rid of that, deleting it and trying to claim it? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes people will crop out the logo watermark. Uh, it's bullshit. Together. Sometimes they'll just put their own on top of it, you know? Um, 
I don't mind people sharing, you know, that's one thing, but if you're going to totally rebrand it as your own, I mean, that's just a little, it's lazy. It's intellectually lazy. It's deceptive. And again, we're supposed to be on the same team here. You know, I mean, I, I get it. There's competition. There's different organizations. There's different outlets. We're all trying to get a piece of the pie, but we're all also facing the establishment and, and mainstream media, you know, who are obviously winning this info war. So I think the more that we can help each other out by keeping the tag or putting a tag on there, or keeping the watermark on the, the image, then, hey, maybe that person who's, who's viewing it will actually check it out. Hey, the Free Thought Project, like I've never heard of them. Let me Google it really quick, or maybe I should uh, check it out. And that's just one more fan that we might have, you know, and vice versa. We do the same. I always try to tag people whenever I share their, their information and posts because we're all on the same team here. Nice yeah. Show, by the way. Oh yeah, Tesla. Thanks. <laughs> Love it. For those who are listening and, and can't see it, it's Nikola Tesla, not the car. <laughs> it's the man. <laughs> Got to clarify that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Most people, unfortunately, know that name, that word from the cars. It's yeah. One of the most brilliant people that ever lived, and is like very firmly placed in American history, but no one fucking knows about him. They don't teach you about him in school. Yeah, definitely not in the history books. Yeah, and if anybody's written out. watching this too and, and thinks that I'm wearing a Black Lives Matter hoodie, nope. <laughs> Black Guns Matter. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Maj Ture, that's his organization. Shout out to Maj. Yeah, that rules. You know, you were talking about people removing your watermark and how that's just not ethical and not a cool thing to do. And it's funny that someone who agrees with what the Free Thought Project does and kind of sees what's going on would do that because what we're experiencing is so much divide and conquer. And as long as people keep squabbling and fighting amongst each other, they're never going to go after a common enemy and actually make a real difference. That just adds to the problem even more. You're fighting the dudes that you're on the same page with and having them get upset and then you look like an asshole instead of giving someone props and coming together and fighting a common enemy. It's amazing that the divide and conquer thing even comes down to something like that, where these people are on the same team, they get what's going on. You would think they'd be the last people to give in to the divide and conquer shit, but they do. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's frustrating. You know, there's not a lot of intellectual consistency in the liberty movement. I hate to say it, but it's just the fact of the matter. I've been in this for 10 years now. And uh, yeah, you're right. You know, on its face, you would think that people would want to be supportive and helping each other. I think it's more of like, hey, this might get me a few more likes. This might get me a few more followers. And some people might not even like our information or, or don't maybe agree with us on a handful of topics, but they still like our memes or they know it's a viral meme and it'll do well with their audience or something, you know, but uh, the same thing, you know, that same lack of consistency could be said for uh, the people in the Liberty Truth movement about sharing mainstream media links and, and articles, you know, I mean, that's pretty much the common norm now. Uh, unfortunately, you know, five years ago, we were so prevalent, people would share alt media, independent media links rather than the mainstream media links. But between a, a campaign of fake news, uh, that whole fake news narrative that was rolled out, you know, by Trump and the mm -hmm. mainstream media and, um, you know, all the fact checks and everything that's really destroyed any alt media credibility. So there's almost this 
unspoken rule now amongst intellectuals on the internet that you just don't share any alt media because it's just doesn't have the same legitimacy as uh, mainstream media, which is weird because then we all discredit and disavow mainstream media, but we're still pointing to them as like a source for legitimacy. So it's right. Backward. Yeah. They're even more proven to be full of shit nowadays. People right. will cling to the, there used to be a band here in Denver that had like one of the best names and this makes me think of it. The band was called Clinging to the Trees of a Forest Fire. Nice. That's basically what people are doing. They're clinging to the trees of a forest fire when they're sharing CNN and MSNBC articles to try to make a point. I, I completely understand uh, what you're saying and um, it's super unfortunate but uh, I, I don't know what it's going to take to break some of that stuff. And you were just talking about the fact checks. I'm sure you probably heard about this. The uh, Facebook, they, they got taken to court by John Stossel yeah. and essentially in their defense argued that their fact checks are not really fact checks. They're more just opinions. Protected opinions. Protected opinions. I love how they are fans of the First Amendment when it's convenient for them. Sure. Yeah, there's so many problems with the fact-checking system that Facebook has. Uh, I'm not as familiar with Twitter, but just the Facebook, I mean, that's the biggest social media platform in the world. That's where we grew our pages, put all of our eggs in one basket. So that's the most familiar for me as far as the fact-checking procedures yeah. and policies. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many problems with it, man. It, it's just, it's so backwards. So for instance... We're a publisher. The Free Thought Project is considered a publisher, technically. And Facebook has hired these third-party entities, such as Reuters, PolitiFact, uh, USA Today. There's so many more. All these companies are also publishers, right? Like, they're right. publishers. Of course, they're way up here. We're way down here as far as, like, being known and, you know, as far as just the, the, the size, I guess. Not necessarily the credibility, but the size of their organizations. So to me, it's just strange that they would put these, these organizations, these entities that are publishers in charge of controlling how other publishers are going to be successful and, and the reach that they're going to have. On top of that, if we have something fact-checked, Facebook's procedures right now and policies are that if we want to appeal it, we actually have to email the company that fact-checked us, right? There's no third-party arbiter who looks at both sides, looks at the fact-checks, looks at our, our content, and we get to you know appeal to that third-party entity. That's not the way it works. You actually wow. have to appeal to the same company that issued the fact-check, which has zero incentive to admit that they're wrong, right? They have of course. Internal biases you know, within the organization that they may, may or may not even be conscious of. So to me, it's just all backwards, man. And the fact that they're doing this the way they're doing it, they don't really care the results. They don't care how many lives they ruin. They don't care how many businesses they put under. It's just for them, something that clears the air. It makes them seem like they're trying to actually be proactive with thwarting some of the fake, quote, fake news on their sites. So, you know, when Congress puts them on the spot again, these big social media tech giant leaders, you know, that they're going to have something to point to and be like, look, no, like we do have a fact check in place. You know, we have this whole program that takes out misinformation off the, the internet and social media platforms. So 
to me, I think that's more of their goal. That's more of their incentive rather than actually making it fair or making it like somehow reasonable for the average user who, who gets this fact check or even publishers like ourselves. Yeah, it seems like there's a handful of narratives that if you are saying something that goes along with those narratives, you don't get fact checked, you're good to go. If you say something outside of those bounds, that's yeah. when they come after you. And the thing that you're talking about where there's no third party to mediate between the two entities is super fucked up and reminds me of like mafia tactics. Yeah. It's like going over to the restaurant, you know, I, I'm in the mafia, I run a restaurant and the restaurant across the street, I'm going to go and like light a match and throw it in there overnight, burn the place down because uh, I want everyone coming to me. That's basically what the PolitiFax and USA Today's and all these organizations are doing. And not to mention, they're literally funded by Facebook and Google. Right. Like PolitiFact, for instance, I know that they're owned by Pointer. Pointer, one of their major contributors, <laughs> Google, another one, Facebook. Right. So it, yeah, um, you, you would think that today with the, the internet, we would have access to this information. It's so readily available, but like you were saying, you know, the independent media organizations somehow get fucked up in someone's brain as meaning it's bullshit. It's not real. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. You would think that with all this technology that men would become a little more wise with all of these tools that we've been given, but it seems to be working in the reverse. Well, I would say, I would argue that largely it has, you know, there's been a shift over the past 20 years for sure. And, and people's understanding of what's going on and just the, the corporate gatekeepers not having that control mechanism anymore to be able, I mean, they still do obviously with the fact checkers, but it's not to the same degree because there's still information that we could get out there that's under their radar. If, if we're clever about it, you know, with deceiving the algorithms or whatever, we could still get the information out there. But let me just remind you, man, that like we were actually taking the bull by the horns. We were actually making that shift between 2013 uh, to about 2016, 2017. We were changing things. We were changing the landscape of news media. And, you know, I still have the screenshots of some weeks we were reaching up to 50, 60 million people. Wow. We were bringing in 30 to 40 to 50,000 followers a week. So they actually realized that at one point, and it, I think it was probably around the Trump-Hillary election. Everybody thought Hillary was going to win. She was an establishment candidate. And once Trump won, it was almost like the establishment kind of took a step back and was like, holy shit, Like Trump won. How the hell did this happen? And how do we make sure it never happens again? And like I said, that's when we started seeing the Russia collusion narrative. That's when we started seeing the fake news narrative being rolled out. Uh, Trump was a part of that. And I don't think he realized that he actually ushered in the whole fake news narrative. Now, he was kind of using it in a different term. You know, he was calling mainstream media fake news, but mainstream media also ran with it. And uh, so did, obviously, the, the social media platforms. And they kind of turned it around against us. So, right. um, yeah. So, you know, I, I want to make it clear that we were reaching more people than the legacy media was for a couple of years there. And it wasn't just us. There was other organizations doing the same exact thing. The anti-media, not sure if you're familiar with Love that. them. Oh, I loved it. 
um, we are changed. There was a few other people that, mm-hmm. you know, we were networking, we were doing good work. We were putting out the information that people were hungry for, and it would share like wildfire. You know, we were thriving at one point, absolutely thriving. And, uh, we were making, you know, pretty good money. We, we were able to, to bring on seven writers to social media people. I mean, we we're giving them full-time jobs, you know? So yeah, we took a blow and it was coordinated. As far as I'm concerned, it was something that was planned. I know it sounds crazy, but I've been looking at this information and the evidence now for three years, because it's been three years since they taken us, they took us down. And uh, it's pretty clear that there was a, a coordinated push by the establishment to discredit any alt and independent media and to once again prop up their prostitutes within the corporate media. <laughs> prostitutes. I like that. A term that I like to use for some of these people that always want to have a war on something, the war on COVID, the war on terror, the war on fake news, the war on this, that, and the other. I like to call them warons. So I like your prostitutes and warons goes nicely right alongside. Most definitely. I get what you're saying with the the whole fake news thing backfiring. I, I can absolutely see that. And uh, to me, it seems like more recently that the establishment plans that existed seem to have been kind of like put on the back burner during the Trump administration years. And it's almost like now that zombie Biden is in there, like they're trying to make up for lost time. It seems like, you know, when you've got all the ice at the bottom of the cup and you keep tapping it and eventually they just all come, you can't just get one. That's what it seems like is happening with this new administration. It seems like they're making up for lost time because Trump kind of got in the way of some of the plans. Yeah, Trump was absolutely a wild card. You know, he was a curveball. It certainly pokes a hole into our theory as anarchists that, you know, all presidents are selected, not elected, you know. That was a question I had for you, yeah. Sure. With that being said, I mean, um, he, he flipped the establishment upside down for the time being while he was in there. And while there was certainly plenty of policies that I wasn't a fan of, and I certainly wasn't a fan of all the fervor that he received from his supporters. You know, I mean, there, the group think in the MAGA camp, you know, supporting Trump. I mean, it was, it was a mind virus like I've never seen before. But with that <laughs> said, you know, he, he was an outsider. And in some ways he was looking out for the little guy. You know, he wasn't willing to play ball with the establishment. In fact, a lot of the things that the establishment proposed or wanted to do kind of offended him. So in some ways, he was an ally for the freedom movement. It's just, it's certainly hard to get on board with any politician, you know, uh, especially ones who are advocating for the evisceration of our Second Amendment rights with certain policies. And regardless of how small they were, like the bump stocks, you know, I mean, that's not something we compromise on ever. No. Yeah. That kind of ground that gets lost, you very rarely get it back. So that's why, I mean, I talk about this a lot on my podcast that we have to stand up for our freedoms, which ones we have left, got to stand up for them now because it's not going to get any easier than now to stand up. And once that shit is gone, it's very, very hard to get back. And even worse, you know, that the newer gender, the younger generations just acclimate to it. They don't know any different. So it just becomes normal. It's just the norm in society. And that tends to happen, you know, with the the 80-20 rule, which uh, basically 80% of the population adopts uh, certain technologies, certain norms, certain ideas. The 20% that's usually opposes it 
tends to over time gradually assimilate into um, those type of norms or, or thinking. So, for instance, you know, we don't see uh, horse and buggies on our streets anymore, right? It's just cars. Everybody eventually moved to cars because they're right. more advantageous, more efficient, blah, blah, blah. So, that tends to happen with groupthink as well, ideologies. So yeah, it's important that we we fight for freedom. And I don't think there's enough people who actually believe it to be important right now. You know, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's it's a little tricky, man. Uh, that probably tends to happen when we're raised by institutions that demand authority over us. You know, and uh, public school indoctrination centers. It doesn't necessarily breed non-compliance or uh, you know critical thought. So a hundred percent. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing. And lots of people have made this comparison. I'm sure that the Free Thought Project has made this comparison in memes and stuff, but the school is basically like training camp for go get a nine to five job. When the bell rings, you, you move positions. When uh, you're told to do something, you do it, no questions asked. You don't ask any questions that go against authority. And that's all stuff that I don't really jive with. And that's a big reason that I love the Free Thought Project because it asks important questions or makes a very, what many would consider controversial statement. To me, it's reasonable and completely uh, needs to be said. But I, I love you guys for doing what you do because I think you, you can tell someone something 20 different times, 20 different ways, and maybe the 20th time it actually clicked in their brain and it made sense. Sure. So when people are harping on freedom and literally trying to be the opponent of tyranny, it might sound tired and stupid to a lot of people, but maybe the 90th time they heard something, it was said the right way where it made sense to them. Sure. Um, and, and that's a huge reason I'm such a proponent of what you guys do and really genuinely love your stuff. And I've been following it for I, I'm not sure when you guys started, but I feel like I've been following it since back on Facebook days for at least 10 years. How long has it been? So we started in 2013, uh, October 2013. Yeah. So yeah. Damn near 10 years. Getting close to it. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of news media organizations that claim that they're not biased, you know, they're completely objective. And as far as I'm concerned, that's complete BS. Everybody has a bias. All information exchange has a bias in one form or another. You might not be conscious of it, but it mm -hmm. exists. At the Free Thought Project, we're very clear. We're very upfront with our biases. Our biases are threefold. Liberty, peace, and accountability. And all of our information that we put out can be linked to those three things. And that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to give that third narrative. We're here to question the official story. We're here to question the narrative. And uh, yeah, it's not for everybody, of course. Again, there's not many people who are equipped. They don't have the mental bandwidth to think outside of the pre-program box that they uh, grew up in, you know. And a right. lot of people too, I would say, you know, it's not so much that they aren't smart or they're not thinkers. It's just they tend to find positions that's going to cause them the least amount of grief and get them the most social acceptance within their family and friends. It's a good way to put it. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to start from first principles with their positions, with their ideologies, with their beliefs, with their values. That's a problem. That's groupthink at its worst. 
Uh, yeah. We tend to try to look at everything from first principles. So when we say the initiation of violence is immoral and illegitimate, we mean it. And that applies to, if you connect the dots and go down the rabbit hole, that means by that theory of disavowing violence that, hey, we should probably abolish the Department of Education. Now you say that to somebody and they're like, wow, you're crazy. Like you want to stop schooling? You want to end the Department of Education? But when you start to connect the dots and you understand how government's funded through taxation, through the initiation of violence, through claimed authority, then it starts to make sense. You know, it's being logically consistent. It's being intellectually consistent. And that's something that we've lost in this society, you know, intellectual integrity. It's almost gone. So those are the things that we try to focus on. We try to embody. We try to speak out, speak up for generally. So you're interested in liberty, peace, and accountability. How dare you? We're the extremists. <laughs> We're the extremists. How yeah, crazy peace. Is that? Peace, prosperity, truth. I mean, accountability. Those are all good things that I, I think almost everyone could get on board with, but the whole movement is so demonized. Yeah, the Department of Education thing, I've talked about that on my show many times. I mean, most people don't know this. When you tell them that it was started in 1979, they're like, no way. That's not real. Look it up. You got a supercomputer in your pocket. Use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's crazy how many, how, how bloated and inflated our, our nation's government is. I can't speak to anywhere else. This is what I know the best. I'm, I'm an American, but it's mind blowing. And, I've said this half jokingly on a few podcasts ago, but with the government spending taxpayer extorted money to buy these medical injections and then basically try to force people to take them on top of bombing innocent people with drones overseas, the list goes on and on and on. I half jokingly said this, that if there was ever a year for everyone to not pay their taxes this would be the one. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, it, that would only be logically consistent and morally consistent, but we're not there yet, you know? <laughs> For sure, yeah. And it wouldn't even take everyone. Just imagine if uh, 100 million people didn't pay their taxes one year. Right. They, they, would have, they wouldn't be able to pay cops to come and arrest you. Sure. No, it's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we can't forget about their printing press, you know, over there at the Federal Reserve. Um, 100%. So, so they will just print up money, which, you know, that funds the warfare, welfare state as well. Uh, and then, of course, police have their own revenue generation apparatus as well. But, <laughs> but you're right. You're 100% right. I mean, I would go even a step further and I, I remind people, you know, you might believe that taxation pays for the things in society that are cherished and valued, but you also got to remember that. It funds the drug war. It funds 3 a.m. no-knock raids on low-income minority neighborhoods, communities. It funds militarized police, the highest prison population on the planet. Corporate welfare. Corporate well bank bailouts. Um, I mean, training, equipping Middle East terror groups, NSA spying. I mean, we could just keep going down. Yeah, what was it? You know, thirty-five billion dollars worth of weaponry just handed over to Taliban. That number changes all the time. So yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, that it was given to the Taliban is probably significantly different from what was given to ISIS and uh, 
Al-Qaeda and all these, but we've always been in the Middle East and involved in propping up some regimes and taking down others. So I think it's important to remember that taxes pay for all these things too, and they might not even exist without taxation. So you got got to kind of look at both sides of the coin here. Yeah. And I mean, we're taxed into oblivion, like literally, you know, this country was founded on a 3% tax increase on tea. Right. The founding fathers are screaming in, in horror up at us from hell right now. <laughs> Again, I mean, that's uh, one of the advantages the state has by government schools, you know, public indoctrination centers, because I, I mean, I'm sure you, I don't know if you went to a public school. I did. I, I remember being taught that taxation is the price we pay for a civil society. You know, I mean, that line is ingrained into people's propaganda. Brains. They don't, it is propaganda hundred percent. They don't think past that. They don't question the moral validity behind it. You're trained to not question. Right. Sure. Absolutely. So yeah, there's a big problem there, you know, and again, there's been campaigns and this is why the internet's great. You know, there was a taxation as theft campaign probably back in like 2016, 2017 that uh, spiked on Google. You know, if you look at the, the stats on Google, you could actually type that phrase in and there was a huge spike in people searching for it because all of a sudden they were interested in, in trying to understand exactly what the crazy extremist libertarians were talking about, <laughs> you know? So um, we are making some headway. We have a lot of unlearning to do as well. I, I know that you're familiar with that. There was a great album by a band that I grew up with called Snapcase. The album was called Progression Through Unlearning. I mean, that that title has always resonated with me because we've all been so indoctrinated into government institutions and believing that they're uh, not only valuable to our lives, but absolutely critical that most people don't ever question it. And that's dangerous, especially when these are the same entities that are, yeah, they're locking people up for victimless crimes, that they're um, promoting these experimental vaccines. I mean, we could go down the line of all, all the nefarious things that government engages in and has engaged in over the years. And, uh, you know, I think it's safe to say they're not our friends, but most people, most centrists, most normies, most low effort thinkers believe that government is a net positive for society. Right. It, when you ask people what the function or purpose of government is often they will give an answer that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's not consistent with reality. I, I got to ask you, you can give me a quick answer for this one and then I have an immediate follow-up. But quick answer, what do you think is the number one issue facing us in America today? What do you think is the biggest threat to freedom right now? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. There's there's so much, you know, uh, <laughs> I would probably, I mean, if we want to get philosophical, I would say the lack of intellectual integrity. If we want to get a little more pragmatic, I would say, obviously, law enforcement. I mean, these are the, going to be the people who are enforcing these laws, you know, like red flag laws. You know, I mean, these are the people who are going to be taking your guns. Uh, just in New York last uh, yesterday, we saw a video of police checking for people's COVID passports in a restaurant and actually arresting a handful of people. So, it might not be necessarily the answer that you're looking for, but we got to remember who the enforcers are of the ruling class and its police. So just following orders. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and that line has been attributed to some of the worst atrocities throughout history, but yet we still don't learn, you know, right. the saying that those that don't uh, know history are doomed to repeat it. So 
unfortunately, the pendulum between liberty and tyranny swings back and forth. Right now, we're, we're swinging a little bit more towards tyranny. Uh, hopefully, we could swing it a little bit back towards liberty. We'll see. But Definitely hoping so. As far as like philosophically, I, I'm a big fan of philosophy. I love stoicism. Big fan of the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Epictetus, and even some of the more ancient guys. But uh, you seem like you're probably a fan of philosophy. What kind of philosophy do you subscribe to or enjoy? Yeah, I, I think most of mine has been centered around liberty type of thinking. I haven't really explored too much outside of that realm just because I feel like this is so urgent and this is more or less my passion. So the more I could understand philosophical boundaries, guidelines within the freedom movement, uh, the better. So um, Stefan Molyneux was probably a big, big part of that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, has Yeah, I've heard big, of Molyneux. I think he has the biggest philosophical conversation on the internet going on right now, or at least one point before he was deplatformed. I'm kind of all over the place, man. You know, I certainly love uh, some Lysander Spooner. Love economics as well. I think that's so important. I think uh, people really need to understand economics. I feel like once I started to understand economics, primarily Austrian economics, I, I started looking at the world through a different lens. And it's one of those things that most people think are kind of drab and boring, and it's just calculations and numbers and stuff. But there's really so much more to it as far as the Austrian school is concerned and with like human action, praxeology and stuff like that. And I would suggest anybody who's interested in maybe trying to up their understanding of, about economics, go to Mises on YouTube. Yeah, I know YouTube. Ludwig von Mises. Go to the Mises Institute and right. go to, they have a series of, I think it's about seven videos. It's called like their Mises Bootcamp. And uh, man, that is just gold. I mean, it starts with, Robert Murphy talking about human action, kind of giving like a brief overview of that. And then it goes all the way into money theory and just almost everything that you need to know. So I, I would highly suggest checking that out. Definitely a lot, a lot of good information there and anything really by the Mises Institute. I'm a big fan of those guys. A lot of good yeah. papers over there, a lot of scholars, intellectuals. And, you know, again, if we're, if we're trying to talk about what a free society would look like and a blueprint on how to get there, I mean, all this information exists. It already is right. out there. These people have done the work and mm -hmm. it's just a matter of us to kind of tune into it. And implement. Yeah, because knowledge is useless without action. Absolutely. You can know everything. If you don't act on it, it's it's pointless. But uh, I will link people to that Mises Institute boot camp on YouTube, and uh, I'll, I'll send over some links. That Snapcase album, Progression Through Unlearning, or is that a song? I believe it was an album. Okay, yeah, I'm going to check that out. I'll link to that in, in the description for this thing as well. I'm sure you'd love it. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. Uh, so the COVID passport thing, once it goes digital, to me, that seems like the biggest thing on our plate at the moment, because once there's a digital vaccine passport system in place, to me, that just sounds like Chinese style social credit system called something different. Yeah. 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 That is one of the biggest things that I'm concerned with right now. I, I'm, I'm not worried. I don't worry uh, worries a waste of time and energy, but I, I am concerned. I'm paying attention to what's going to happen with that. Cause if that gets implemented, winning our freedoms back is going to be a lot more difficult. And one thing that I don't think a lot of these people that print up the, uh, fake COVID pass, you know, 
to paper to go into concerts and go to restaurants and travel and whatever. One thing I don't think they're considering is once it goes digital, they're going to ask for the proof, the real proof, and then be able to look it up and go, oh, it looks like you committed fraud. Come with us, sir. Sure. You know, it very well could start going that way. And I won't stand by that stuff. I, I don't support segregation. And in my opinion, what we're experiencing right now is not just medical tyranny, it's medical terrorism. Sure. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good assessment, man. And, uh, you know, good on you for not living in fear. I think that's absolutely empowering. There's way too many people right now who are, I think, traumatized. They're dealing with a form of PTSD through all of this programming and manipulation. But yeah, you're right. It was, it was certainly short-sighted of them to issue the paper vaccination record cards, you know, and it almost seems like one of those short-sighted type of uh, rollouts that, you know, it almost was like, maybe it was intentional for some reason, you know, like it it seems like the technology could and should have been there before they rolled this out. And of course there's like the, the green pass, um, Excelsior pass, I think in New York. Yep. They, yeah, they do have the digital version. I can't remember where, but I did read that one city had to roll it back because the adoption rate was just so low. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another reason that I, I won't do the uh, paper thing, well, A, just morally, it seems wrong. I'm lying to people to selfishly want to go to a concert or whatever. And, uh, you know, if people want to do that, I get it. I get it. Like they're putting a pinch on people and making it uncomfortable, but that is their goal. Their goal is to break people and get you to bend the knee or bend over. And I just can't bring myself to do that. And I think people are failing to realize when they do make the fake vax card to go to a concert or whatever, you're not sticking it to the man by doing that. You're literally making them stronger. You're literally making the grip tighter and you're making the situation worse, handing over the power that you had because you could get together with 20 of your friends and go to that venue that night of that show you wanted to go to and tell them all to fuck off, you know, go out there and pick it with signs. Like this venue supports segregation. Yeah. That would be sticking it to the man. And, and if more people did that and actually had the backbone to do it, a lot of these music venues would change their policy very quickly, but they don't because people are strengthening their grip. People are playing along with this game. And because of that, the venue's like, yeah, we're good. Look at how many people are complying. We don't need to change the rules. Whereas if you wanted to go to the show, but you can't because you're not vaxxed, and you actually stuck to that, these venues would start opening up and loosening the policy because they're hemorrhaging money. Yeah, loss of money. Uh, Public perception is also, it's absolutely critical. It's, It's very powerful. I think sometimes we don't acknowledge how powerful it is, but... Yeah, you're absolutely right. Even if it was just a a small group, a small minority of 10 people out there on a daily basis, protesting, making a fuss, getting loud, being obnoxious, it would only be a matter of time before the club, the venue decided to change course. And that is the solution to all this is mass non-compliance. And the the less we comply, the less they're going to continue to try to push more and more on us. And eventually, they're going to realize that we won't budge, we won't bend. And the problem is they still rule the public narrative. They still own it. And right now there's still that fear amongst business owners, venues that, hey, if I'm not going along with this, 
I'm going to be called out as somebody who is, doesn't care about safety, that doesn't care about a potential pandemic, this virus. I'm the person who's enabling killing grandma. We could turn that around. It just takes a group of dedicated people. We don't have the numbers right now. Those numbers are growing. And that's the silver lining in all this is that I've had so many people reach out to me. I've had so many interviews within the past couple months, people saying like, I didn't know about you before COVID. Uh, COVID is what woke me up. COVID is what got me into this. So I think that's a good thing is that they are pushing a lot of people away from being the centrists and pushing them a little bit more into the freedom camp, you know, because they instinctually, intuitively know something isn't right with this. So that is the silver lining to this. Again, the only way out of it is just mass noncompliance, putting your foot down, saying no, and not participating. A hundred percent. It's funny that you were mentioning venue owners talking about, uh, you know, they want the perception that they're the good guys and they're trying to protect grandma and stuff. I literally spoke with an owner of a music venue here in Denver, Colorado, and he was talking about how they're going to start doing, you know, vaccine only at their concerts. And I kind of grilled him on that. Like these people that took the injections can still get the disease and spread the disease to other people. So wouldn't it be more practical to just give everyone a test? Negative test would be a lot more safe. He's like, yeah, but no, we're not going to do that. And I was like, okay, like I, I'm, I'm understanding where his head is. So I'm like, all right, what about the bands that play in the venue? Do they all have to be vaccinated? And he was like, well, we ask the band if they're all vaccinated. And if they say yes, we just go with that. Okay, so if this band says they're all vaccinated, but they're not, and they're the ones on stage spitting on people in the front row, yelling in their faces, taking a sip of water and spraying it on people, that's all fine. But I, as an attendee, need to show that I've taken the medical injection. And he was like, very confidently, like, well, yeah. I can't fathom how you can be that full of cognitive dissonance. I can't understand how you can reconcile that and sleep at night. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, money talks and uh, it makes sense, you know, in, in some ways, because I mean, I think most of us acknowledge that a lot of this, if not all of it, is just safety theater, you know? Theater, yeah, 100%. <clears throat> I mean, even the whole Aaron Rodgers debacle and debate. I'm not sure if you're, you're much of a football guy or know who Aaron Rodgers is. I'm aware of what happened. Yeah. You know, he's a fan of the free thought project, by the way. It's kind of cool, but uh, nobody followed up with him. Like he said, he was what he said he was inoculated or no, no. What do you, God damn it. I'm sorry. I can't remember exactly what he said. He described it as a uh, immunized. I was uh yeah, he said mm -hmm. he was immunized. So people, you know, got up in arms about that. They're really upset that he wasn't actually vaccinated. And I think he missed a game while he had uh, COVID and he came back and nobody said anything. Nobody asked, okay, well, did you get vaccinated? Like, <laughs> and it, to me, it's, it seems like something that would be addressed by the team, right? The green Bay Packers, but it's almost like he's such a superstar. He makes so much money. He's such an integral part of the team that it's like, well, we could just turn a blind eye to this, you know? And I think that's exactly how most places, most businesses, are kind of rolling through this. It's like, well, we're just going to comply with the guidelines, 
health mandates for now. Uh, if a health inspector happens to come by, at least it looks like we're doing something. But then, yeah, the bands don't have to be vaccinated. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You know, it's totally <laughs> logically inconsistent. But that doesn't matter because it's just safety theater at this point. I think we all know that. And uh, it's a little frightening because we could take the war on drugs, for instance. Like most people now know that the war on drugs is a complete farce. They know that there's more conflict created by police trying to enforce drug laws. We know that we have the biggest prison population in the world, but yet nobody's calling for end of the drug war. You know, I mean, there are, there's some people, but it's almost become cliche because even in our circles, you know, we'll make a post about ending the drug war and it's like, yeah, I'll get a few likes, a couple shares, but that's not breaking news. That's not the hot topic. So we've all just acclimated to it. We've been desensitized to all the negative attributions that come along with it. Yet we're not actively out here speaking out against it. And I feel like the same thing is going to happen with COVID. The ruling class is going to wring every last dollar that they can out of the fear and hysteria. And we're just going to continue playing along because that's what the American people do. You know, it's just go along to get along. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, the other day I saw a little couple minutes of uh, an Aaron Rodgers game. Packers were playing someone. And my brother follows a lot of football and I asked him about that. I was like, Aaron Rodgers is playing on the field. What about that rule that the NFL announced like a long time ago before the season started? And I reminded him, like the NFL said, if a player is unvaccinated for COVID and they happen to give COVID to someone else on the other team, the team that gave the COVID automatically forfeits the game, automatic loss. And I was like, so what? Did they just throw that rule out the window? He was like, no, I think that rule's still there. But how are they going to enforce that? And I'm thinking like, yeah, of course. I don't know how they'll enforce that. It sounds like it was just a big fucking scare tactic to try to vaccinate more people. Right, right. And we see a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, the police and firemen in, in Florida have a, a good friend, Justin Harvey, who's a prolific anti-vaccine activist in Florida. And I mean, yeah, some of the council members actually reneged and backtracked on um, their threats against firing police and fire department employees because they weren't going to get the, the vaccine. And once enough of them, you know, once they actually had the numbers and they had some of the momentum by being vocal, speaking out about this, the council member totally changed gears. And, you know, then of course he, he doesn't admit to the lies that he once uh, had said. And of course, that's this is just typical. This is uh, how politicians behave. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it. you're right. It's all over the place. And that should be alone a red flag that there's so much fear trying to get people to comply to these mandates that, I mean, anybody who knows how to spot propaganda, that was a huge red flag. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people who know how to spot propaganda. And there's a lot of people who are actually genuinely feared for their lives, for the, the lives of their family members, because this is a whole new psychological operation. They've never rolled out something like this regarding viruses and vaccines and all the different elements that go with that, all the science. Most people have no clue. Most people aren't doctors. Most people aren't biologists, you know, so they didn't know exactly how to handle all this stuff. So the best they thought they could do is just by listening to the authorities, you know, listening to the experts on this stuff. There was a group of people who have been calling this stuff from the start. And that group of people are called conspiracy theorists, you know, but we've got the track record that is impeccable right now with all this stuff. I mean, you know, the track record of vaccine passports. I mean, we call that the only one solution, you know, is 
so much about washing your hands. Remember how much they were talking about that the first couple of weeks? You know, nobody talks about that anymore, but now it's not about getting sunshine, exercise, eating healthy. It's just the vaccine, 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 vaccine. That's the only way to solve this. And That's it turns right. out that the vaccine is actually causing more harm than good because with each variant, there's going to be new issues and the vaccine isn't going to be able to stop each variant. So it's a placebo to a certain degree. It's, um, it gives people that confidence that they're actually doing something when they're not. Uh, and it actually probably amplifies the situation by making it more dangerous. People believing that they're actually immune, people believing that they're actually protected from the virus and that they couldn't spread it to other people while they're doing the, exactly that. So, I mean, yeah, this whole thing, man, it stinks. And the red flags have been waving for about two years now. So it is a litmus test for the people who are actually paying attention and intelligent in society. Free donuts, free beer. Free gift cards, free lotto tickets, no red flags there. Um, I want to back up just real quick. A few minutes ago, you said something about your friend who is an anti-vaxxer. Is he like a proper anti-vaxxer or is he anti-COVID-19 vaccine? Yeah, as far as I know, he was doing uh, vaccine work prior to COVID. So, Proper anti-vaxxer. I I would say so, yeah. I mean, um, even before... I think this vaccine gave us a lot more ammo to disagree with vaccines about. But even before that, I mean, there's still plenty of evidence and information that's come out that is concerning, even if you don't believe that vaccines are, are completely you know, harmful. I mean, there is still plenty of info that would surface that should concern a rational mind. Sure. And I was watching Ron Paul's Liberty Report two days ago, I think it came out, but I was watching it yesterday and he was mentioning how according to literally CDC official data, they're showing that these COVID vaccines have killed twice as many children as have died from COVID. So people that are signing their kids up for this because you're afraid that COVID's going to kill your child, you're literally doubling their chances of dying and you're choosing to double their chances of dying. Ron Paul went on to talk about If you post that up on social media, you're going to get canned. You're going to get the boot for reporting their own information. I was sick to my stomach when they announced that 5 to 11-year-olds were now eligible for vaccinations. Uh, But Fauci, even last week, said by 2022, they're going to start trying to vaccinate infants as well. Yeah, six months old, right? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, the hysteria doesn't stop. And uh, meanwhile, you know, record, you know, numbers, record sales, record profits for the vaccine manufacturers and not just the the vaccine manufacturers, but you got to remember all the, the people who are creating and writing the loans for all these PPP loans, all the financial help that the government's giving people, people are getting rich off this. And it's majority the ruling class while small businesses suffer. We saw that with the lockdowns. Um, even to this day, you know, there's small businesses. They're still trying to get back on their feet from the death blow that they were sentenced to. So, yep. Or they're just gone or they're just completely gone. Right. I think it was something <laughs> like 30 to 40% of restaurants in San Francisco within the first year of the pandemic were gone. Uh, it's just insane. And, you know, here we are still playing uh, security theater. California just re-implemented the mask mandate, you know, and and even more nefarious than that, I don't know if you happen to see this, but they just recently banned small generators as well, you know, in California. I heard that there was talk about that like a year ago. Yeah, it happened. It just recently happened. 
And to me, that's just absolutely insane. You know, we need to decentralize. We don't need to centralize even more, uh, especially with large bureaucracies like PG&E who've turned people's powers off just because it's a windy day, because they don't want to be liable for more disasters like huge fires, which they've already been attributed to. So it's just, it's insanity, man. The authoritarianism has really reached a fever pitch. And a lot of this stuff too is being done under the guise of progressivism. That's even more dangerous as far as I'm concerned, because if you look Always. through the right lens or the wrong lens, I guess, you know, you'd say, well, that's a win for the environment. You know, we're getting rid of small generators, you know, and our friends on the left cheer for that, but it's just less freedom. It's less independent. You have to be more dependent on these big centralized bureaucracies. I mean, there's just a handful of problems here, man. And it, no law is going to bring you more freedom. I know that much. So, Yeah. And something I, I keep saying, and I'll never stop saying it, you're never going to comply your way out of tyranny. Sure. That is not how it works. You, you don't comply with tyrants and then they just stop fucking with you. That's never going to happen. Here's another one, man. I mean, freedom is never extreme. Control is extreme. Freedom is never extreme. You know, I think that's been flipped on its head. Now people believe, well, if just the right bureaucracy happens to implement the right laws with the right lawmakers, then (laughs) we're eventually going to come to this utopia where everything's perfect. But it's like, no, like even if we were to get rid of guns, let's say California magically made all guns all blueprints vanish overnight, right? All 3D printed, all, all metal work, every different way to create a gun that you could ever possibly think of. Right. Well, guess what? There's still going to be a problem. There's still going to be people who are deranged and trying to cause destruction. They'll end up getting their hands on a knife. Yeah, stabbings will go way up. Or, <laughs> or whatever. It doesn't matter. So instead of addressing the root cause of these things, we're just going to check off check marks of, of these things that might insignificantly, you know, very minuscule, progressive changes, quote, progressive changes, you know, and it's just a joke, man. I mean, government isn't going to save us. Authoritarianism is going to save us. It's going to make things worse. And I think anybody who knows history would agree with that. Yeah. We have to save ourselves a hundred percent. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're never going to unlearn the gun. We have a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. And the last thing I want is for guns to disappear. And then psychopathic murderers start getting creative with how they're going to do it. Sure. We don't need that. As you know, authoritarians and and tyrants throughout time, they always argue that it's for your own good. It's for the best interest. It's for everyone's safety that you need to comply with this. That's always the alibi of tyrants. Absolutely. And they start saying, you know, it's, it's for our democracy then also run because uh, that's the other, you know, hot button topic that they always yes. try to throw out there. Well, we got to preserve the sanctity of democracy. You know, <laughs> it's like, man, again, you know, these are just euphemisms that we're taught platitudes were taught in public indoctrination centers. And it's like, again, like the backbone of government is violence. Government is funded by violence. Government only has one tool to enforce its laws. And that is violence how in the hell are we ever going to say that something like democracy is virtuous or moral or preserves society? Or I mean, it's just absolutely insane to me. So uh, yeah, if whatever these people are telling you, do the opposite of it, you'll be okay. <laughs> you know, whatever they're saying, it's a lie. Try to figure out what they're trying to hide from you or what they're trying to distract you from. Uh, these people have perfected the art of manipulation. So we need to know that. That needs to be the ground floor, which we start. And I think once you 
have that understanding, then you could kind of work your way through society and everything, the, the ills, the goods and the bads. But people who wholeheartedly believe that government is for the people and by the people, I mean, that, <laughs> that couldn't be, that's the biggest lie we've ever been told. Yeah, man, I completely agree. I like your advice. Whatever they say, just do the opposite. I think that's pretty good wisdom there. Absolutely. I got a couple of questions for you, and then we can totally wrap this thing up. By the way, I'd love to speak with you again in the future because there's plenty more that we could discuss, and Damn it. it's it's an honor and a privilege to speak with you. Thank you. So what do you think people can do to stay optimistic in these very strange times? Good question. I'd say balance. Balance is so key. And uh, although I don't practice what I preach when it comes to balance, I I tend to be a workaholic. I'm so passionate about what I do in this work that I give it my all. I spend seven days a week on it, um, almost all my waking free time. But balance, balance is so critical. I've seemed to be able to manage a lot of this stuff. I mean, I've looked at police brutality videos for almost every day for 10 years. So I guess you could say my my soul is charred. It can't get much darker. But uh, at the same time, I do need to take a walk occasionally. I need to go down to the river. I need to go on a hike. I need to spend time with family and friends. That's absolutely crucial find that balance. Because if you're just dwelling and looking at all the negative stuff in society, it's going to affect your your mental health, your psyche, uh, even your health and your well-being. So that's absolutely critical. Everybody stay balanced out there. It can't be all bad all the time. Can't be all good all the time either. Very true. I guess the last question I'd have for you is the thing I like to ask guests all the time on here. And I gave you a warning on this one, so hopefully you got an answer. If you could give one piece of wisdom, one piece of advice to future generations, what would you want to tell them? So I got a quote actually here for this one. And uh, yeah, you you did give me a little preparation time for that one. And uh, I appreciate that. Oh, I've just found that that question is so big and and (laughs) such a big deal. I need to give people some heads up that I'm going to ask that. No, I appreciate that, man. Because sometimes I do an interview in the spring, like, I had one yesterday, or excuse me, on Wednesday, I did an interview and the guy asked me what the purpose of life is. <laughs> Holy smokes. I wasn't ready for that one. I mean, uh, that's you know, a very subjective question. And here, let me give it my best shot. But yeah, having a little bit of preparation for that certainly helps. So the answer to your question is you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that's a quote by Buckminster Fuller. I would say, don't try to grovel. Don't try to beg. Don't try to plea with these people. Don't try to make some kind of marginal difference by voting or, again, begging politicians to implement some type of minuscule change. That's not how we're going to create change in society. We create change by building new infrastructure, by building new pathways outside of the control mechanisms that already exist. So that looks like using cryptocurrency, for example. There's many examples, but I would say that's the best way to accomplish change in society. The control system that's already in place is a multi-trillion dollar machine. To believe that they're going to ever allow us to change it through voting or protesting is absolutely 
naive. So it's up to us to create the infrastructure. It's up to us to create the new models, to observe what the market needs, to observe how to go above and around the current structure of authoritarianism, and to empower ourselves. Orchestrate, facilitate, motivate. If you could do those three things, then we're going to see a lot of change in our future. If we're going to continue to play by their rules, by their games, we're never going to win. We're never going to see any type of freedom again in our lifetimes. So we build outside of the existing structure. That's how we win. Hell yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Jason. I really appreciate you coming on here. Yeah. Let me uh, just plug a few things really quick. Yeah. Where can people find you? Whatever you want to plug. Sure, brother. So uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jason Bassler one Yeah, I know. I'm still on Twitter. Um, unfortunately, there's still some legitimacy on that platform as, as far as uh, <laughs> influencers and, and people who are trying to do what I'm trying to do. So follow us there. Um, follow me on Mind Me We Float. Um, follow the Free Thought Project on uh, just about any social media that exists. Just go into the search bar, type it in. Uh, also go to thefreethoughtproject.com at the top there. You'll see our podcast section. Check out our podcast. We've had a bunch of great guests over the years. It's awesome. You'll, thanks, man. You also see the newsletter. Uh, just sign up for an email. You know That's one way to completely circumvent the social media uh, censorship. And um, also, we really need some help with donations and subscriptions. We've been doing this for 10 years, as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, just about 10 years. We know what we're doing. We have the motivation. We've proven ourselves. We just need to get back on our feet. We need support. We need people to help fund our operation. It's not looking good right now. It's looking pretty bleak, to be completely honest. It would be a miracle if we make it to 2023 at this rate. So we need our fans to step up. It's possible. I know that other people, you know, other influencers, especially on the left and the right, are supported solely by their supporters. We're not asking for that. We're still going to find other revenue streams, but we need help from our supporters. So please, please, please uh, go up to the top of our website, donate, subscribe. It could just be a one-time donation. Uh, subscribe for as little as $3, $5, $10 a month, and that will keep us doing the work that we're doing. Do you guys do Patreon or is it all directly through you? Yeah, we do Patreon. We also have a Venmo. Um, so yeah. Okay. Subscribe star as well. She's uh, a Substack as well. I mean, we're pretty much on everything. You know, we try to keep the options open so people could easily support us. So awesome. And also, yeah. dude, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for turning me on to your music, man. I actually got a chance to listen to about four songs or so. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was great, man. Like you guys are doing some great work. I don't know what, you're, what you do or what your part in the band is. I don't know if... Uh, I play guitar and yell into the microphone. Okay, gotcha. I mean, dude, it sounded sleek. It sounded polished. It sounded technical, not overly technical, you know, but I mean, it was, it was great, man. And the production <laughs> value you. was awesome. And I love that one line, the eyes are useless when the mind is blind. That certainly resonated with me. So yeah, man, thanks for turning me on to that. Yeah, hell yeah. I, I'm glad you dug it. I, I figured you would like the lyrics. <laughs> and the music. I mean, as I you know, was explaining earlier, I grew up with the hardcore scene. So you know, it's, I think it's a little more thrash than yeah. hardcore or, or metal, but I mean, it, it's still, I'm, you know, I love it. So, Thank you. Yeah, brother. Feel free to pass it along to some other metalhead uh, freedom lovers. Absolutely. Will do. 
All right, cool, Jason. Well, I'll link to all of your stuff that I can in the description here. So if you guys want to find Jason or the Free Thought Project, just look down there. Awesome. Thank you so much, brother. That is all, folks. Thanks a lot for sticking around to the end. Really appreciate you guys. If you will already subscribe to the podcast, you have a Patreon subscription, all that good stuff, and you feel like supporting the Free Thought Project, the links to do that will be down in the description below. Hit up their Patreon, support those guys. They do awesome, awesome work. Give them a follow on all these socials that he mentioned. There's a ton of them now. It's not all just Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. My musical suggestion for the week is from a band called Cactus. This record came out in the 70s, and the song that I would recommend you check out is called Parchman Farm. I'm going to have the link for that in the description below. Check that out. It's super shredding guitar music. Really cool rock band from the 70s, and the guitar player blew my mind. I just got turned on to this band in the last week, so I think you guys are going to dig it. Super shredding guitar stuff. That's all for this week. Go hit up riffsordie.com, hit up the Patreon, and write me any questions or comments that you have for the show. Send them over to me, podcast at riffsordie.com. I look forward to speaking with you all again soon. Take care until then, friends. Adios.